getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. You better call back the posse. Just getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Everybody. Welcome to the Rocker Mike and Rob Presents Show. Yeah, today, baby, yeah! Yeah! Today we have author Don Hens, who wrote this fantastic book called Roger Daltrey and the Bright Shiny Object. It's right there on the screen. Right for there on to the see. screen. And we're going to interview Mr. Uh, Hensy today. And, you know, Don, I got to ask you right off the bat. What made you write this book? Wow. <laughs> I mean, this book wrote me first, you know. Uh, Tell us about it. You know, it's interesting because I don't think I would have written a book unless Heather Daltrey told me I needed to write a book. Wow. I knew her for about 20 minutes and she said to me, she said, Don, you will write a book someday and it will all be in the book. And I was sitting at a table in her kitchen at Holmeshurst Manor, Roger's house and Heather's house, at a table, a long rustic wooden table. And I realized later that at that table, probably half of the rock legends in the world had at one time or another sat at that table talking with Heather. And uh, she had told me, before she told me I need to write a book, because she was very interested in stories about me growing up, because uh, I grew up in a haunted house for real. And she wanted to, I thought, well, maybe I'm getting, maybe this stuff's a little too weird for her. And she kept asking me question after question after question about my life and what was your mother like? And, uh, there's nothing she didn't want to hear and nothing she couldn't handle. And after I told her all about my life growing up as a kid, little kid, uh, she said, you will, it'll all be in your book someday. She said, and that, that really planted the seed. Wow. That's wow. amazing. Let me give a little background for the people that don't know. Okay. But, uh, Don, you're a, you've been a musician for many years. Okay. And you got involved with Roger Daltrey in the early 90s. And, you know, you, you were supposed to be on one of his solo albums. You were... Well, I was. Kind of, uh, I did. I, I did sing on it. Yeah, no, you did. You did uh -huh. sing on it. I and, sang on the, on, the, on the hit song, the one hit song on the album. Right. Which, which is called what? Days of Light. Days of Light, right. Well, my, my part, and we did it in the uh, Beatles room at Abbey Road. Right, right. And Roger wow, was right. standing so right next to me, and then the, the that's producer, amazing. Gerard McMahon, and, and my, my part, can I do it quick? Yeah. It went... <laughs> and... 
So wait, wait. Awesome, man. Awesome. Okay. Now you're in New York. You know you're pretty much a New York guy. Okay. And you were a struggling musician at this point, and you got connected with Roger. And really, 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 really struggling. But I know you were you were couch hopping. I, I couch hopping. According to the book. Okay. Living and, out of a suitcase. Yeah. Damn. T t tell us how you got connected with Roger Daltrey of The Who. This is fascinating. This is fascinating to me. Well, um, I was playing drums for Gerard McMahon. And people know Gerard. Uh, he wrote that song, Cry Little Sister, for Lost Boys. And, you know. Right. The Lost yeah. Boys. Cry Little Sister. That was such a great song at the time. You know, that song, that, that vampire yeah. song. Yeah, right. He gets sometimes he'll it's they'll pick it up for ringtones, and he tells me he gets a check for a hundred thousand. This is five years ago. Amazing. And then, uh, Marilyn Manson covered it. Not yes, he did. Ago. And motherfucker, been, he made a whole his whole life. You know, talking about you have one hit song. He's he's really now he goes to vampire festivals. But I was playing drums for Gerard in 1990 and 1991, and. Uh, People in the East Village, the record companies were coming, in particular Ronnie Vance, the president of Geffen Records, would come to our shows. So Gerard was saying, oh any, any day now, any day we're getting a record deal, we're going on the road. I'm, I've been going up to Geffen, I'm signing this deal, and Don, you're going to be my drummer, I'm going to pay you when you go on the road, and a week turns into a month months go by, and next thing you know, a year goes by, and I'm playing for Gerard for free, and there's no record deal. But, you know, it's not necessarily Gerard's fault. The record business at that point in the eight, late 80s or early 90s had just begun. It's really the beginning. It was deep into the beginning stages of the great decline of the music business, as I see right. it. And um, so everybody in the band, we're playing some really good players. Sean Solomon, who is Ron Wood's bass player. The guy was, yes. it was the, one of the great bass players in the world. Exactly. Um, uh, Gerard and Mark Gray, the keyboard player who uh, was the Brecker Brothers keyboard player. Monster, monster keyboard player. You guys look like twins down there, by the way. You guys, are you guys related? We're lumped up. We've been drinking. I swear, you look, if you, put, if you wore the same glasses and the hat, I, you look like twins. <laughs> but uh, let me, you know, so Gerard said uh, his promise that a record deal was coming through and that we'd go on tour and I'd make a fabulous living once we went on the road. It was not happening, and I was running out of money. I had a little money saved from a, a lawsuit. <laughs> I was a, I was falsely arrested while working as a car jockey yeah. for a uh, North Shore car leasing company that went out of business because they were a cocaine racket. <laughs> so I was doing some things in that car that I didn't know I was doing and transporting <laughs> things. You know, when you jockey the car, you pick up somebody's Porsche, you bring it over here, you, yeah. you pick this up. And, you know, I'm always driving some other car. And everybody in this leasing company was arrested uh, and put in jail for it was a cocaine. 
is I can't really shouldn't really talk about. It. I said I was never going to talk about this in public. Yes, so, it's okay. Um, so nobody, nobody watches. So I, anyway. I got falsely arrested. That's another story. In the during the doing my job as a car jockey for this leasing company, and I actually got a check for twenty four thousand dollars. And I said, I'm going to give it one more year to make it in music. And that year was running out and Gerard's record deals were not coming through. And then Gerard says, Roger Daltrey wants to uh, wants me to produce his his record, his solo record. And Don, you're going to play drums on it. Wow. Wow. Nobody believed him. I didn't believe him. It, it, you didn't believe it. It never happened. Well, he he said that he was in talks with Roger all spring of 1991, and we were still playing shows, uh, showcasing in the East Village, all these great little clubs in the East Village uh, that are gone now. So most of them are gone. But uh, so was, was, was all of a sudden, just when was was Nightingales one of them? Um, we were playing at Ludlow Cafe. Ludlow Cafe. Right, Street. Yeah, wow. Was it the Seventh Street Cafe or something? There's one on right on Seventh Street. It was what was the Seven? I, I, it was right on next to downtown Beirut. It's on the corner oh, there. Oh wow! Yeah, First and then we played, around, we played the Continental. Yeah. And Gerard, because of that song, Cry Little Sister, he right. we had good audiences and we had record company people there. It was very exciting. And uh, but no record deal, and it was a year, and I was out of money. And then Roger Daltrey pops on the scene, but nobody. Gerard says we're gonna have a meeting with Roger. Another week goes by, no, no meeting. Roger's in town. We're gonna have a meeting at this place called Manic Moose with the people that were in the band and the other people that Gerard wanted to bring in on the solo record because he owed them a lot of money too. Because that's what Gerard did. He still had connections, big connections in the music business, but at that right. point. At the beginning stage of the great decline of the music business, his connections weren't didn't have the potency they used to have. But he still had them, and people would do tremendous favors for him because he still knew people like Ronnie Vance, president of Geffen. So the third time the meeting is scheduled at Manic Moose Music, where Gerard is headquartered and the band rehearses, Roger Daltrey does show up on time at 11 o'clock wow. and we're all by the window there is the second story of uh it was down like by was a fourth street and broadway so the intern for the manic moose music yelled here he comes here he comes and we went to the window and he came across the street he looked very he had his tommy hair and he's very skinny yeah. and he's wearing a black leather you, jacket you, you saw a guy with long blonde hair and he you looked know, just like Roger Daltrey. Roger I mean, there's no mistake right. <laughs> that is Roger Daltrey. And he's coming into your building, and he comes in the building, and the three of us, Mark Gray, the keyboard player, the intern, and myself, continued to stare at the window in shock at nothing. Wow. Like, Sure. That's fucking Tommy right there. That is Tommy. He looked he still looked like Tommy, which is, is great. But unfortunately, that morning, I had gotten a letter from my ex-girlfriend who broke up with me about two months, a month and a half before. And I got to I gotta interrupt for a second, okay? Your ex-girlfriend interrupts this novel too many fucking times, man. All right? 
<laughs> okay. I mean, it's like it's it, you know, she she's in it and she's out of it, and she's in it and she's, and she's out, out of it, it, you know. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll get in there, I'll fix that for you, Mike. I'm gonna fix that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But you know, I got this letter from her breaking up, saying that she loved me and then breaking up with me again in the letter. And I got it the same morning as the Roger Daltrey meeting. And it ripped me to shreds because I really, really loved Vonda Shepherd, that soul singer. Right. And uh, she ripped me to pieces, ripped me to shreds. And I was so upset again because I got that letter that ended with, I love you, Vonda. But I never want to see you again. But I love uh, you, <laughs> and I never want to see you again. That's that's. Uh, but don't don't make any mistake. It's over. Love yeah. Vonda. Love Vonda. Always, always love. I love you. But I will. Always don't call love you. me. I don't. It don't. Don't make any. You know. Anyway, you, it was devastating, and and you sure. know, we were soulmates. We still are. Once soulmates, always soulmates. So, Rogers coming up in the elevator. And I was so disgusted with now my whole career depends on this guy and everything it took to get there, to meet him. And he, seeing him walk across the street, I, look, I thought he looked very skinny and scraggly, I thought to myself. I go, that's Roger Daltrey. He looks like Tommy. But this is what my whole career, my whole life comes down to. I said, you wow. know something? I'm just not – I just no, – I'm in no condition to meet him. So – I, I went to the back storage room down the hallway from the front office of Manic Moose Music, and I laid down on the couch. And I said, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to, uh, I, I'm in no condition to meet Roger. And I was never a Who fan anyway. I really wasn't a Who fan. Wow. Really? That's incredible. Not, not even the early stuff? I mean, everybody, the Who is part of everyone's soundtrack, but I never bought a Who record. I didn't like Keith's, Keith Moon's drumming. I thought it was very sloppy growing up. I was more into wow. Chick Corea. And, and okay. uh, I was into Chick Corea and, uh, you know, uh, Steely Dan and great Steely drummer. Dan. Yeah. Keith Moon to me was very sloppy. I, of course, I have, I've developed a taste for, I have an acquired taste for Keith Moon drumming, and I really love his drumming at this point. Like, but back then, the Who, everybody loves the Who songs, but I didn't buy any of their records, and it wasn't something I want to buy no, a record and go practice in my, in my basement to the Who. So I, Roger's coming up in the elevator, and I'm still wiping tears from my eyes over this letter. And I said, I'm not a Who fan, and I'm in no condition to meet Roger. So I went to the storage room down in the hallway, down the hall, and I uh, laid down on the, there's a couch in there. Wow. Wow. That, wow. That's incredible. Well, before you continue, okay, I want to show everybody Roger Daltrey and the bright, shiny object, okay? And for all people that respect my opinion on things. I got to say that this is one of the best books I've read in years. Okay. Uh, it's not just about what happened between Roger Daltrey and, 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 and you, Don. Okay. It's, it's also this idea of like what could happen between rock stars and regular people. Okay, and Roger 
was, you know, he, he, he came off as like a regular guy. Yeah. Okay. In, in, a, in, in a lot of the book. But then he also came off as like a really flaky motherfucker. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it. All right. But, you know, well, there's a part, there, there's a part of the book where, you know, you, you know, you, be, you became so much part of his family and that's amazing. Okay. But then, but then you became like, you know, you were supposed to be represented by him and he bailed on you. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'm still, uh, you know, when you're to get to where I was, I was on a spiritual quest too, because I, I've at that point in my life, I, I had a very good friend of mine who became, uh, she was the Eve Branstein. She actually casted the characters for This Is Final Tap. And she was a writer, is a writer, and she was working for Castle Rock. And she, she knew everybody. And she was uh, the, the wife of uh, the keyboard player for Van Morrison. And she was she at one time actually dated wow. Vance. She has a history as Mick Jagger dated her. She knows yeah. everybody, has done everything. And, and I met her at a party and she, she saw how much I wanted to make it in music. And she referred me to these books, Sid Arthur, um, uh, 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 what is it, On the Road or the, what's the Kerouac one, Roadless Travel? Or on, on the, the road. road? Yeah, Kerouac and then Vaclav Havel, Disturbing the Peace, those books. Dharma bums and all that stuff, yeah. Right, so she put me on this path to, to, to as a, a spiritual quest in really finding myself and, and uh, I figured that was the last link to making in music. So that spiritual quest that I was on was also to, to be mad at Roger but what happened as it was happening was against my grain uh, as far as my spiritual development back then. I mean, it was an unorthodox spiritual path. I don't know what my spiritual path would be called. It wasn't Buddhism or Christianity or Judaism. It was like my own brand. And it, it's kind of in the fiber of the book without being religious or anything, but my own brand. And I couldn't be mad at Roger at the time. But people say to me, well, did you send him a book? And, you know, I, I didn't because I'm still conflicted about it, about what wow. happened. Because the book only covers the first year of what happened. It, it went on for another five years. Um, wow. but, and I wanted to get it all in this book, but I, I got to page 446 and something, you know, some voice said, you're done. <laughs> I went okay, but I wouldn't say that to this day that I'm mad at him yet because life takes place uh, and timing of things. You know, in a sense, there is no time. You know, what is time anyway? And he has the book now, so the the door is still open for him to fulfill his promises. So I don't want to say, oh, you know, he's a what a jerk he was. He said he was going to do this and he said he was going to do that. He never did that. Fuck him. Fuck you. <laughs> Let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Are you disappointed with Roger? Um, you know, Roger, things like being disappointed with Roger saying, I'm disappointed with the son. 
uh, I'm disappointed <laughs> with the universe. It, it doesn't it doesn't work that way with Roger. He is in a human form, but he is totally never loses his godlike status when you hang out with him and do I those know. mundane things. The book, I think the book, I covered that because you say he's an ordinary guy, but then again, he's always doing things and you never quite get a hold of him. And in no. real life, you know, to say I'm disappointed with Roger or I'm mad at Roger, you know, he gave me a beautiful gift because he told me, he said, Don, he said, I'm going to make you huge. And, you know, right now I'm on your show. We're in the process of doing that now. It's just that things are all on different timelines, right? Yeah, definitely. So I'm not mad at Roger at all. You know, I look forward to seeing him again and laughing with them. He's, he's, he has a great sense of humor. He tells really corny jokes, though, that I never laughed at. And uh, he, he, <laughs> he would, so he would tell the long jokes, five, six, seven, eight minutes that go on and on and on. And everybody else in the room laughs and they're belly aching, laughing and you're I, like, what the hell is this shit? <laughs> yeah. Roger looks at me. And I said, Roger, I said, I, I don't, I'm not good with jokes. I said, you know, don't tell me a joke. I'm not going to laugh. I, I, I said, the only joke I laughed at was I think, you know, what's, what's the strongest thing in the world? What's the strongest thing in the world? You guys. Me? Yeah. You guys, what's the strongest thing in the world? Come on. Well, it's a good, good answer, but it's uh the answer is P even Superman can't hold it. So. Pain. Pain. That's, you know that's so I, that? I laughed at that when that when I was like 10. And I think that's the only joke I laughed at. So Ro I wasn't yeah. laughing at Roger's joke, which was something about, you know, the maiden was tied to the track and the, the engineer saw her tied to the track. And at the last minute he pulled the whistle and the maiden, I mean, I, it was some like a joke from 1905 or something. <laughs> so, you wouldn't believe it coming from the coolest Sultan of rock and roll godlike wow. status. And he yeah. tells the corniest joke. So then he would tell the jo whole joke over again. Oh no. And, oh, no. <laughs> and I wow. still wouldn't laugh. And Everybody in the room, maybe there would be like Ricky Bird and Gerard and the people from Abbey Road. I remember this one time we were recording in the Beatles room and we were doing the did, 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 did. we were doing that part. <laughs> he came to the studio all peppy and happy and he had a new joke and he told the joke and I didn't laugh and then he told it again. And then when I didn't laugh again, you should see the faces in the room of the other people. Well, well let's let's get into some of the people that were with you. Ricky Bird. Yeah, Ricky Bird. And, and some some others okay i mean these guys were all big who fans from back yeah. in the day i get it okay but what would they like to work with ricky bird for example uh <laughs> you know it's like I, I did a good description <laughs> of it in the book because you know, I, to this day, you're not going to, I don't have rock and roll accessories and chains and, uh, you know, I'm not a tattoo guy because if I got one tattoo, I'd be covered in them completely. I'm an all or nothing guy. But back then I was just, I had long hair and Ricky Bird had all the, the scarves and the chains and the bracelets, the clanking bracelets. And his, his hair is teased up like, yeah, no. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even do it. it it's like. Yeah, the spiky hair. Yeah. Not spiky. Spiky would have been cool, yo. 
he he had it teased up like the, the faces up. or something. And when he showed up for <laughs> rehearsal, maybe that was an overpriced comb over. <laughs> I'm, I'm friends with him today on on Instagram. It's quite different. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's different. Yeah, it is different. He's a nice guy, Ricky. You know, but yeah. um, he was never cool enough for me, and I was never cool enough for him. But right. We got along, and he was a friendly guy, and and he's he's very he's very interesting and a great conversationalist. We could the you know when Roger would take us to dinner, uh, me, Roger, Ricky, Gerard, um, this guy Dave Katz was came along. It was there for some reason, but uh, and Tony uh, Volante, the engineer who did work with uh, Steely Dan and uh, uh, Nichols, Roger Nichols trained wow. him. Um, you know, the, the conversations, all those guys were great conversationalists. They love to gab. Ricky is great at talking, great at listening, very entertaining, great company. We, we had legendary hangs with Roger. Um, and I really like Ricky a lot. He's a rock and roll guy and he keeps that pretense about him. I'm a rock and roll guy. And when I messaged, when I, I was trying to get, I was trying to find out some information for the book and he was very, you know, very short with me. And then after yeah. like three messages, he wouldn't return any more of my messages, you know, because right. I don't have, I don't really have status with him. So he's like, okay, <laughs> he got enough of my time, you know. He's there, they, those, they have to uh, sort of, you know, he's a rock and roll, uh, he's a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I'm not. Yeah. And he has to always make sure that I know that. And he, and, I'm somewhere beneath him. It's that sort of thing. And it was because, that way back then. Because because of Joan Jett. But okay, go ahead. Yeah, because of Joan Jett. But Ricky's yeah. a very nice guy. And I'm not just saying that to be diplomatically correct. You know, he, yeah. he he's, uh, he's, he's a great musician. He's great to play with. I mean, playing the Who songs that we played at Carnegie Hall, he kicked ass on those songs. He's got a great guitar sound. I know. Uh, he, I know he, that, he, that, that must have... The description in that book, and again, I'm going to put Roger Dolcher in the bright, shiny object. The uh, the description in the book when you played at Carnegie Hall. That's fantastic. Was Holy fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate okay. it. I, I, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. And it really, you know, I mean. You were talking about how, like, you were walking around Carnegie Hall and you ran into all these people. You didn't know who the fuck they were. Okay. Yeah, because it was a benefit show, a benefit show for city yeah. kids. So it seemed like it really pretty much anybody who was a celebrity and in New York that week or that month was, was there. there. Was there, right? I mean, I played yeah. in one show, I played for, there was 40 celebrities there, you know, you name it, you know. Bruce Willis and then, uh, you know, uh, Demi Moore and. Uh, right. They were all. They Demi were all Harry. I mean, Dressy Hancock, Nile Rogers. Yes. So. Yeah. It was a who's who's of Hollywood, man. Right. Everybody that it was, was a who's who. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't. Right, right now, I'm a little brain dead because I was cutting cheese all day. So, you know, <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm really glad you guys like that part because I was I was saying so a lot of this book. is I'm saying, well, you know, all I did was I played one show with Roger at Carnegie Hall. I'm not a guy who went on tour all around the world. I go, do I really have a story here? You know, because my self-esteem got really beat up by this business, you know, the yeah. music business. Dude, dude, let me tell 
Let me interrupt you right there. Okay. You you play Carnegie Hall with Roger Daltrey, the singer of the Who. That's it. That's it. Right, yeah, that's but it. It, right. not only that, thank you. Yeah, right. That's what I came to realize. But not only that was that we were so loud, the sound man yeah. had it out for us. Fuck and he it. wouldn't, he would he, he, not turn down yeah. the lights. You know, the house lights that go on after a show, the house lights are on. Yeah. You know, it's just a bland, crappy house lights and the show's over and everybody walks out of the theater. When He's we came boy. on stage, yeah. you know, the, the, the great Carnegie Hall with the spotlights and the and the and everything dark, it, it it lit up with that crappy house lights on for Roger Daltrey because the sound man was so pissed at us because we were so loud. <laughs> and and you go you go into that in detail in the book where yeah. where, yes, where yes. he's like where he's like, you know, you guys are too fucking loud. You know, it's like, it's like, come on already. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, they, they kept the, the house lights on, no spotlights, shitty, crappy house lights on. So we were probably maybe only the only performers in the history of Carnegie Hall to play with with the crappy house lights on because we were being punished. Wow. Uh, Roger, we had a fight with the sound man and it was very entertaining. It was quite something. You know, Roger said, we're not too loud. We're a rock band. We're a rock band. He yeah. didn't want to hear it. He was like, he was done. He, was, he didn't want to hear you it. You know what I mean, funny? Yeah, the guy said, guy if, you don't turn down, me, if you don't turn down, if you don't turn down, the sound engineer at Carnegie Hall said, if you don't turn down, he said he was going to shut us down. And uh, Roger could, said, you do that. You'll have could big you problems. Could you imagine if really it, big problems. Could you imagine if it was Lemmy from Motorhead? Lemmy from Motorhead is so bad. Uh, I, I thought it was much more. I, I thought, yeah, if it was Lemmy from Motorhead, yeah. I mean, but we were we were cranked up very loud, and then we kept yeah. going louder because the place was sold out and it was packed, and we had to turn up even louder for the show wow. because Roger said that when all the people got there, he said they would soak up the sound, and they did. Yeah. Exactly. I, I had no miking on the drums even. So I had to smash those drums. And when we finished, it was so raw and loud. And, um, you you know, the people, they truly went nuts. And it might have been one of the rare times that you maybe could got to see Roger like the early days of The Who. And the people went nuts, you know? Wow. So, yeah, I mean, if it's going to be one show that you were going to do to write about, Roger Daltrey at Carnegie Hall, I, you know, I said, okay, it was one show, but like you, like you said there, Mike, you know, right on, yeah. right on, brother. Hey, hey, Don, can I tell you something funny? Yeah, tell me something funny, yo. Like two weeks ago, I went to see Duran Duran, and Chick opened up. It was now Rogers playing all the hits, and that shit was as loud as fuck, and nobody cared, and the crowd had a great time. Yeah, so they had him open up and then fucking Duran Duran. It was like holy shit. Yeah, I love Duran Duran. I mean, I, I that's one of my favorite bands of all time. I'm a little that's sick what, of now. That's I'm my so favorite sick band. Of, I'm so sick of all these all people time. now yep. because I want to get my music out there. Still, I'm not done. Uh, you know, things like people I played with that that didn't get their their fair share yet. You know, so I'm fucking sick. Of Duran Duran now. I'm sick of Paul McCartney. I'm I'm sick of 
I'm sick Vinnie of the Joe. Hood. No, I'm not. I'm not sick of the hood. I shouldn't have said that. But no, I Vinnie, I'm, I'm sick of, of Vinnie orchestra, and I can't stand the violin player in the Who either. She drives me nuts. <laughs> you know, people, people, and people won't even say that Paul McCartney, uh, you know, can't sing anymore because it's politically right. incorrect it's or something. He, he can't. But he he's, like he's I love grandma. Paul McCartney. Who doesn't love Paul McCartney? <laughs> but move over. You know, there's yeah. still. Exactly. Move, know, move you know, the fuck over. Exactly. Don, I, Don, I got to tell you something. So a friend of mine saw Paul McCartney, right? And then he saw uh, Roger um, Roger Waters. And he was like, Paul McCartney's show sucked. Roger Waters was so much better. He came with no trills, like dressed like shit. Went with his, it started well, playing Roger Waters is still cool. I, I, yeah. I still, he's like, still. The only problem with Roger Waters, what the hell does he got against the Roman Empire, goddammit? <laughs> <laughs> he's got, he's, he's got issues. He got he's issues. Got issues. <laughs> Paul McCartney looks like somebody's grandmother. Uh, yeah, I'm you know, sorry. I'm sorry. and again, again, it's, he you know, it's he's, yeah, he's, he's doing great for 80 years old. I guess he's doing great for 80 years old. But, you know, when my, dad, when my dad was 80, my dad played drums and he played over, he played a thousand and a half shows, thousand, fifteen hundred shows wow. around Long Island and New York. He was a drummer. He played club dates and wedding dates and he played four times a week and he did that for 30 years or so, I can't even count the shows. But he, you know, he did his last gig when he was like 73, 74. And then when he was 80, he's like, I'm done. He didn't play drums anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like a time when, when you're done. But look, everybody, I, I, Phil Collins is another one. I had an, I was sick of Phil Collins oh back in God. 1990. I was sick yeah. of Phil Collins, you know? I, I, I saw, I saw Paul McCartney in 2011 at Yankee Stadium. Okay. And I have to admit, was he, was, he was fucking great. Okay. He was fucking great. But we're talking 12 years ago already. Okay. You know, and he's still out there. He's like somebody's fucking grandmother at this point. It's like, well, stop. you know, it's, it's, it's got to be nice. You're talking about Paul McCartney, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean you always got, you have best. to be nice listen, to him. Listen, you have listen, to be nice John, to him John, because if, uh, because if you need him, you know. I, John I would... Lennon wrote the best fucking songs. I'm sorry, Don. Okay? You know yeah, what's fuck, John Lennon? I'm uh, sick of the Beatles. Fuck the Beatles. I'm sick of the Beatles. I'm sick of the Beatles, too. I'm sick of yeah. them. I'm sick of Elvis. Led Zeppelin. Elvis. I'm sick of them. Elvis. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sick of the Foo Fighters, most of all. Most Fuck of the all. Foo Fighters. Wait up, guys. I, you know what? I got to give a respect. The, the, the kid's drummer, the, the guy that died, the drummer, yeah. his yeah. kid, that good kid hitting those drums with everything he yeah, had. He, he was good. That was, was incredible. Good. Dude, I had right, to All right. Well, you know, I'm, you know, wait, 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 wait. I don't I want got, to offend wait, 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 anybody. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on. Lemmy from Motorhead. That's all you got to say. I love oh, Lemmy from Motorhead. I'm not sick of Motorhead. I'm not sick of Motorhead. No way. No, I, I'm, I'm just dig, I'm just starting to really, really get into Motorhead. He, he's just his his music is so alive and so vital great. to me. I, you know, the Motorhead is just getting better to me. You know, so always better. Metallica. Always I'm sick of Metallica. You know, ah, they're dead. They're dead. Fuck Metallica. I'm yeah. done with Metallica. Anything. Uh, Motor oh, Motorhead yeah. is just getting good now. Just getting good. Yeah, exactly. I'm sick of Nirvana. You know what, I'm sick of Nirvana. 
Oh, fuck Nirvana. Fuck all that. So tell me. You know, it's like, so back then I was playing with these guys. I was only 26, getting old though. You know, when you're 26 and you're a young rocker, you hit that 27 point. You're like, I'm not famous yet. You know, I'm an old man at 27, 28. You got to pack it in, you know. And uh, never pack it in. Those guys, Roger was 46 when I met him, 47, and Gerard was 38. Ricky was like 35. And I was playing with all these older guys. To me, you know, when you're 26, 27, and they're 35, going on 40. Like when I, I played with Didi Ramon, and he was he was 38. I know you did. They just had uh, a big show in Vegas or somewhere. I remember there. saying to my friend, uh, Joe Carroll, who's in the book, I said to Joe, I said, Joe, I said, you know, I'm uh, playing with Didi. And he's coming over to my house and rehearsing. I said, but you know what? You know how old he is? I go, he's 38 years old, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought this guy was an old guy. I mean, he was walking around with a cane, though, too, because he was oh, he, or he's on yeah, listen, methadone or something. The, the, the last time I saw Didi, he was walking with a walking cane on 3rd Avenue by the Continental. And I can't, I saw him and I said, "Hey, brother, what's up?" You know, and and he was lumped up, <laughs> he was lumped up. And, well, he finally, and, you know, and, he and, finally and died of some junk. Shit. I mean, he got back on the junk, and he, he yeah, OD'd, that, right? in the end, in the end, he did, and that that's what took him out, and that's fucked up. I I feel bad, but you know, he he was thirty eight at that time. Dude, let me tell you. I always oh, he, I you saw him, him when he was 38 too. You saw him at 38? Yeah, he yeah. was walking with a walking stick. Yes, that's when I that's when that's when I knew him. That's the same walking stick that he would come over and he'd hobble around in my basement with. But as soon as he put <laughs> the as soon as he, I knew him then, yeah. Oh, okay, you know, right Don, on. Right hey, on. Hey Don, I gotta tell you something. I worked at Bar None, and Bar None used to be the bar that was like this um it was called something Chase. Third Avenue and 12th. And I, yeah, I, used to, I used to go there all the time, but Basic I went there more Chase. like in. You know uh, who I saw there? Who? I saw Gigi out in there, and he sang three songs, and then there was the shit place. everywhere. Yep. There was piss <laughs> and shit flying everywhere. It was the most incredible thing I, I ever seen. I was at that show before I knew this motherfucker yeah. right here. All right. And it was shit everywhere. Disgusting. disgusting. (laughs) He took a shit and just started throwing at people like a monkey. It was the worst thing I ever seen in my life. (laughs) Shit was fine. People were getting his with shit. People were running. It was total chaos, man. It was fucking great. I said, this is rock and roll. This is the East Village. (laughs) Yeah, no, I used to hang out there more around like 93, 94 over there. Yeah, great. But, um, you know, playing with uh, Ricky at U.S. was pretty cool. And those guys were all older than me. And I'm like, uh, I, I thought their the record we were walk, working on was, um, you know, I was playing grunge and punk music. Uh, Damn, grunge. And, and uh, then I'm hanging out with all these older guys at Abbey Road in England, like sitting on a couch because I don't know what they had me over there for because I wasn't playing drums. I was supposed to play drums on the record. But that's how we started at this interview. You said, well, how did you meet Roger? I was supposed to play drums on his record. And then uh, that went from drums to percussion. And uh, I brought all my percussion stuff over, you know, what little percussion stuff I had over to Abbey Road in, uh, you know, uh, in, when was that, July of 1991. 
And the first thing, the first Roger, the first thing Roger said in the very first session when he walked into the room, he said, Gerard, he said, I, I know the perfect percussion player, uh, Jody Lynn Scott. She's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And I I felt like the biggest dirtbag, like loser, uh, you know. And so from then on, all I did was sit on a couch and watch. But yeah. they went on for, we recorded for hundreds of hours. We recorded for three months at Abbey Road the whole time. Damn. I was sitting on a couch. My only job was to make Roger T. That's crazy. I know. So, I read you know, part of this story and part of things that I, I want to maybe ask Roger someday, if you, if, a, you know, I, I do hope that he's, he has the book now and it's very interesting how he got the book finally, because, you know, I didn't feel right sending him and Heather a copy with a long letter. I wrote letters, three different letters, and they, each letter brought me to tears about how I missed them and how, yeah. you know, they've wow. been in my dreams and my thoughts and my heart all this time. And, you know, because at one time I was supposed to be their future son-in-law. I was supposed to be their I was supposed to be their son-in-law. So we went very deep. You were hooked up with his daughter, daughter, right? Wow. What? You were hooked up with his daughter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Willow loved me, and I loved Willow. her. And we were supposed to get. We were yeah. supposed to, you know, he they they wanted us to get married, and that was pretty much a done deal. And that's a whole other story. That's not yeah. in the book. That comes after the book, yeah. you know. So I wrote them. This is recently over the last. Three, four months, I wrote them three different letters. And then uh, a friend said to me, she said, well, if you can send those letters without any expectations, she said, because, you know, Don, she goes, those people in that book, she said, they really hurt you, you know, you know, they, they, wow. they really did a job on you, she said, and you don't wow. want to set yourself up to get hurt again. She goes, if you can send Roger the book and the letter, Roger and Heather, a book and a letter without any expectations that anything is going to happen. She goes, send a letter. But if you have any hopes or expectations, she goes, I wouldn't do it. And I said, you know something, the letter is all about my hopes and expectations that they, they that, you know, we, I can see them again and, you know, we can pick up where we left off and the whole thing. And I said, the letter is completely opposite. It's riddled with yeah. hopes and expectations and, you know, love for the adultery still, you know, Wow. Um, so um, I didn't send them a book or a letter, and you, I got a Facebook message from uh, this guy. Uh, 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 his name is uh, Trevor. Trevor is it Trevor Denton? Trevor. I hope I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, my brain is fried because I've been working all day cutting cheese. I think it's Trevor Denton. He's a friend of Rogers, a fishing buddy of Rogers. So he's down at the trout farm. Roger has his lake. You know, he's got his lake, right? Yeah. Now he has a brewery there. He's building a brewery, but he has his lake. And this guy, Trevor, is his fishing buddy for many, many years. And Trevor Facebook messaged me. He said, he said, uh, if you send me a book, he said, I will bring it to Roger. Because he, he said, I read your book. He said, I quite enjoyed it, Don. He said, it's very insightful. Wow. He said, it's very insightful. I, I particularly enjoyed, you know, the, you know, I see how much you went through as a young lad. And, you know, it's very, very, young very you know, difficult for you, but it's very, very entertaining book. He goes, I'm, I'm going to bring a, a book to Roger. So he brought the book to Roger and 
he took uh he didn't take pictures with Roger with the book. That's not the way this works. You know, people go, well, where, where are all the pictures with you and Roger? And we, you know, this, this whole thing takes place on another level between Roger and myself, just like the way he got the book. Now, this is the continuation of the story because the book arrived at the lake house, the, the pub he has there now in Holmeshurst Manor to the day or the next day from the first time I was there. So it's kind of mystic, mythically speaking, the book got back. I got back to Roger's place 30 years to the day that I first went there, you know. Wow. So um, Roger has the book, but, you know, I still don't know if he's, he's reading it or not. You know what? You know what's interesting? When, 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 when you sent me the book and I picked it up, I didn't realize how much information and I didn't realize how much thing you did with him, which I found fascinating. I was like, wow, this guy was hanging out with Roger <laughs> from the who I'm like, I'm like geeking out. And like the way you make it seem, you make it seem like it was nonchalant, like it was nothing. And after reading the book, I felt like, oh, I, I realized why Don hanged out with him. The guy was a pretty simple and Comper guys, well, he was like a pretty easygoing guy, you know, but he just won every, he won every, he won all eyes on him. He always wanted the attention. Yeah, he's, he's very theatrical. He's very yeah. animated when he talks and he, he's yeah. all so, and he's, he talks loud. And no, I don't want that. And, you know, but the other times he can be quite brooding and quiet and yeah. mysterious. And when he gets quiet and he just stares at you, he looks just like Tommy because he is Tommy. And I learned what I learned. Yes. What I learned from knowing Roger is that Roger didn't become the character that Pete Townsend wrote about. Pete Townsend no. wrote about Roger. It's it's. Yes. I don't know if anybody ever realizes that. Did you Did you guys ever see it that way? No, I never saw it that way until you bring it up. It's Roger fascinating. is acts like the character in the movie in the in the opera. All the time. Yeah. He spaces yeah. out and he just stares at you like. <laughs> I had a conversation, the last conversation I had with him, and I won't get into it because it's a, it's, a, it's too long to get into. But he said yeah. to me, we were standing about five feet apart and we were in the office of his manager in New York. And he walked in the door and I was sitting there and I didn't even know he was going to show up there. I was up at the office, Richard Flanzer. Oh, that was a real night, the biggest nightmare period of Roger's career that nobody knows about. Roger barely ever mentions. But I was up at Richard Flanzer's office because I was I brought him up a demo tape I was working on and just to see maybe he could help me. This was after things happened or fell through with Roger. But yeah, um, all of a sudden Roger walks in and he goes, Dawn. And I stand up and I said, <laughs> Roger. And there was a receptionist there kind of in the middle of us. She was she was to the left and she was looking at Roger, then to me. And then Roger says, Dawn, I gave Willow a new sister. <laughs> and then I looked at him and, and I didn't say anything. And then he just stood there looking at me and I stood there looking at him. Because I was very stoned at that point, too. I was smoking pot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. I was looking at him, and we were both looking at each other. And then he goes like this. He says, Dawn, you're still going to marry Willow, aren't you? Ooh, and I said, 
I don't know. I don't think so, Roger. I said, you know, uh, last time I saw her, I said it, there was some things she did that really, really hurt my feelings. You're still going to marry Willow Dawn. So that, that was pretty oh, much, wow. that was the last, pretty much one of the last conversations. That was the last time you saw him? That was, I saw him one other time after that. About four years later, I was driving a yellow taxi. And <laughs> this wow. is now 1997, and, and The Who is doing Quadrophenia at the Garden. So I'm driving wow. a yellow taxi, and I, I see, you know, there's no internet back then, or I don't read newspapers. So I see Quadrophenia on the Madison Square Garden. So I said, you know something? I said, Roger's probably staying at John Paul Mitchell's apartment on 78th Street on the upper uh, right. side. The I used to hang out the with Roger. Whenever he was in town, you'd go up and hang out with Roger and John Paul Mitchell's penthouse because John Paul Mitchell was a billionaire then, and he let Roger stay at John Paul Mitchell's penthouse. So that's where Roger stayed. Wow. Maybe to this day he still stays there. I don't know. Yeah. So I drove, I had a fare that took me up to 78, right around the corner from John Paul Mitchell's apartment. And it was maybe about 4.45, 5 o'clock. And in front of John Paul Mitchell's apartment is a black limo. And um, I pulled my taxi in front of the limo. And I get out and, and I, sit, I sit on the back of the car. I sit on the back hood of the taxi. And I said, I, I, you know, I'll wait like 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes. I'll wait for him to come out. Five, five minutes, Roger walks out. He, he walks out. He goes, Dawn. And then Heather says, Dawn. She comes over and Heather comes over and gives me a, a big hug. And she says to me, she says, the taxi, Dawn? She said, she goes, it's just going to be another chapter in your book. Just, oh, um, man. She never, wow. she, yeah, she never, uh, she, she never forgot that. So, you know, yes, like, why did I write the book? And it has to be, it has to, it's Heather, you know? That touches my heart. Even when I tell you guys, I tell you, I have so much love for them. And there's so much in my heart, unfinished business. And it's not that, yeah, it's just, it, it hurts. You know, it's, I'm sad, but I'm optimistic yeah. that, that there's still a connection in their hearts for me. And that, you know, somehow this book will lead to maybe a movie, a Broadway show, and everybody can make some money out of it. And we can all hang out and go to dinner again and celebrate or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. So, you know, if I always say to myself, you know, if what happened in the book happened, then like anything can happen. You know, once what happened to me in that book happened, I say to myself, well, what is impossible then? Because all that stuff that happened in the book was impossible. It really was to me. So uh, Roger said, Don, are you going to the shows? And oh, no, Roger said, Roger says, Don, how are you? And I looked at him and I said, I'm, I'm surviving, Roger. Yeah. Wow. 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 He goes, Don, are you going to the shows? And I, and, and I shrugged <laughs> wow. my shoulders. And he said, give, 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 Heather, give him the number to call. Don, go to the shows. And then Roger walked off. He was in the limo. And then Heather gave me the number to call. And then I was put on the VIP list. And then I went to two or three nights of Quadrophenia. And that was really fun, too. And the strangest thing about it was the last Quadrophenia show. Um, and I didn't really watch too much of them. I, I, I was hanging out with the keyboard player's girlfriend, this beautiful brunette, the whole time. We had really we had such All great right. conversations. We started talking in the, in, the, in the lounge with everybody hanging out. And then we would talk the whole show. <laughs> we, 
We didn't even watch wow. the show. It was like two or three nights each night. I would just sit on the couch, another couch, sit on the couch with the keyboard player's girlfriend. And one time, um, everybody, the who was about to go on. So everybody emptied out of the room, went upstairs. Pete, Pete and Roger and the band, you know, went upstairs. And for some reason, Pete forgot something in the, in the VIP lounge. And he came, he walked and went over to his guitar case, got something, walked back across the room and stopped. And he looked at me on the couch and he said, hi, I'm Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got up off the couch and I shook, my, shook his hand. I said, I'm Don. So, you know, there's a bookend to this. I always thought that maybe the book yeah. was going to end when, when, when Pete introduces himself to me. But both right. Roger and Pete, Ro I met Roger by him going to the, the back storage room because in the storage room where I laid down on the couch, well, they, yes. they had their meeting. And then after the meeting, they were listening to songs that Gerard McMahon had written that they recorded at Manic Moose Music. This goes back to the very beginning when I met Roger and I was too upset to, to meet him. And I laid down on the couch, but from the couch, I was right by the studio room where they were listening to all the songs that they wanted Roger to do on a solo record. And after that meeting, they came out, they went by the storage room door and the last person to go by was Roger. And he turned and he looked into the storage room and it's very dark in there. There, there were no lights on. And I thought to myself, I goes, I said, he can't see me back here. I'm it's too dark. And he takes a couple, two did. steps into the storage room and he says, hi, I'm Roger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm laying there on the couch. I had the letter uh, of Vonda's letter that broke my heart again on my chest. And I was crying the whole time they were in the meeting. He goes, what's the matter, Dawn? I said, oh, I said, I just got a letter from my girlfriend. She broke up with me. And, uh, he said, keep your chin up, Don. He said, there's, wow. there's plenty of fish in the sea. Wow. And then he wow. just spins, spins around, walks out, you know. Wow. So, you know, the story I always thought was going to start with Roger introducing himself to me. And at the very end, the very last day that I saw Roger in person, Pete Townsend introduced himself to me. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. You know, you know, it's like uh Lenin says, you know, nothing is real, nothing to get hung about, right? Yes, 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 yes. exactly. Relax said so something true. like life is just some great fantastical dream. You know, wow. those lines, nothing is real, nothing to get hung about. Huh. You know, so that's this story is not finished. I feel in my heart especially talking with you guys now. And you guys are magical guys. I'll tell you, I love your interviews. I love your style because you're so, I mean, you guys are uh, the real deal, man. You know, you know, everybody, rock and roll, scene, man. You know? everybody, you street cred is through the roof, you know, because you guys are the real deal. There's no pretense about you. You love people. You're open-minded. You you have such a love for New York City and all the people and things that happen in the city, particularly the music scene for the last 30, 40 years, the things you guys yeah, know, the way you thank love you. people. Yes. I really think you're you're the beginning of a of a rebirth of it all. You know, so this is this I is part so. of the magic. It. Nothing is real. I'm 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 talking with you guys 
this is one of the greatest things I have ever done in my life, you know? Thank wow. you. Thank wow. you to you guys. Both so, you guys. Rob. Don, I, I got I to gotta tell you something. The first time I met you, I say, wow, I can't believe this guy was hanging out with Roger Daughtry. And then I met you, and I know I know why this guy was hanging out with you. Because oh, you're, cool. you're, you're a great guy. Like, you know, your energy, your passion, like the, the things you do. And, dude, you're a great guy. And um, I'm hoping you pick up success. I hope they make a movie out of this. I hope they do all kind of stuff. But, Don, if I can do it real quick, can we get like a... a 30-second pitch of why people should buy this and have it on their freaking bookshelf because this is a fantastic book. This book is a treat. It's a great read. It's easy. It's like it's like you're reading. It's like you, you're talking about yourself, but then people can see themselves as you, which is pretty interesting. Not too many people do that. Well, that's a that's a great pitch right there. I couldn't. What, the only thing I could add to that, Rob, is that if you know, it's an amazing journey. And uh, everybody gets to go on it. It's not my amazing journey, as, as you pointed out, Rob. It's, it's everybody's journey. Everybody gets to take this journey. It's all yes. of us, you know, because I yes. know so many people in the music scene that have gone through similar things, uh, just as fantastical. I don't know if that's a word, but just as fantastical and magical, good and wild and crazy. Yeah. And this is all of our story. All these people that were really the next great wave of the American culture that, that for some reason, something busted, something broke, yeah. you know, yeah. and yeah. I know we had, we had some bands and, and some people did still break in the, in the early nineties. Yes. But for the most part, the culture busted, you know, and now all we're left with is the Foo Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, brother. <laughs> All right. I, I, want I, I, I can't even watch the clip. So, yeah, anyway. But anyway, so that's Don, I don't um, want to end it on a negative note. But, you know, it's interesting. No, I just no, have to good. mention the movie. You mentioned the movie, Rob. My, my, yeah. my, a very good friend of mine, Susie, I was telling Mike the other day, Susie Lewis, who created and, and did uh, five seasons of the show Daria. Um, yes. Whoa. The MTV hit show. She yes. she's reading the book now, and she's freaking out over it. And she's so hard to please. Susie Lewis. That's amazing. The creator of Daria loves the. I book. watch that all the time. I and love she Daria. She said to me, oh. she she is she is a powerful woman, and she said, Don, I'm I'm directing your movie. Wow. <laughs> That's a good. That's amazing. Uh, I said. So sure. I said. I said. You know. But yeah, of course. You know. So yeah. she's. She has also. She has already sent the book to a couple of screenwriters who just got oh, back to her right. the other day, and uh, they said what they that, were really that means she'll write the screenplay. Does that mean she's going to be writing the screenplay or are you going to write the screenplay? No, that's a different form of expertise. You know, that's a people. You, know, that's a, you would want a screenwriter who has that expertise like you know i have to write the book a screenwriter yeah. is a whole other expertise so you you know but they'll take the book and they'll write an adaptation of the book that's pretty yes much what they do. yes so yes. susie susie has um has a couple of screenwriters uh reading it and they're digging it Not so bad. you know making a movie and and the odds of that happening and getting money and getting that happen you know well you know it's like i say to myself i i was hanging out with heather daltrey in her kitchen you know, <laughs> yeah. If, if I could get there, I could do anything, right? Yeah, you can right. do anything. All right.
Hey, so Don, how can people get in touch with you if they needed to get in touch or send you a plug? Because we know the book is everywhere. Go on Amazon, go in uh, Barnes and Noble. The book is anywhere. Buy the book. It's a well, it's, it's on Amazon. Barnes and Noble. I'm 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 too much of a dirtbag to get in into Barnes and Noble. And nobody. Oh, uh, so you're you know, Amazon. Self-published writers are still the dirtbags of of the of the you know. We're the enemy Ro to them. Roger you know? Roger Daltrey and the bright shiny object. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can you can Facebook Don Henzi. Um, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'd love to, I'd love to hear from people uh, who have read the book or who have questions about it. Um, I'm getting a lot of great, great uh, people writing to me, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy that part now of, uh, of interacting with people who are reading the book and have read the book, and it's really wonderful. You a know? Great book. So, yeah, I really, really All appreciate right. that you guys took the right. Rob, where are you now? Did you start reading yours yet? Yeah, I tell you, I read, so I'm halfway through when I started reading it, but I also jumped around just because I wanted to see some stuff before the Yeah, because you just got it the other day, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I read like 250 pages of it so far. <laughs> and, 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 and I've read the whole thing. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, thank, uh, thanks, I, thanks, Mike. Yeah. You guys are the best, really. I, you know, I, I can't say enough about you, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, I, I hope a million people watch this just so they get to know more about you guys you know thank you yeah so um don um another thing if you have anything coming up in the future we'd love to have you again as a guest if you're doing any music or whatever you're doing let us know because you're a fascinating dude well yeah, thanks man coming from you that means the world to me buddy really does yeah, really does awesome. and you know awesome. this you know this uh you know, one thing leads to another and things are, things are happening, percolating. I feel it in the spirit of things, you know? Yes. And uh, yeah, I will definitely keep you guys up on what's going on. You know that. Definitely, man. All right, Don, we love you. All right. Love you guys. We love you guys. You're the best. You take yeah, care, you all right? And, and remember people, don't, don't get, get drunk, drunk, get, get lumped up. up. We'll see you next time. And <laughs> hit Don and buy the book, baby. Buy the book. Have a good one, guys. Getting lumped up with Wacker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Wacker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. You better call back and pasta. Just getting lumped up with Wacker Mike and Rob Rossi.